welcome to Pinkin.com Norwich City podcast number 357 on the way the 4am club although we weren't a part of any of that which is handy a duff hand and owls about good Friday then my name is Michael Bailey joining us here this Monday afternoon Argent Towers we have Chief Norwich City correspondent Paddy David Pads. good afternoon Michael good afternoon all and our corresponding colleague David Friesel hello how are you Dave yeah not too bad shaking off yesterday to a certain extent it was a long old day wasn't it a little bit disappointing in the end but uh, sure we've got plenty of that to come indeed yeah we kind of built it all up haven't we and, and there, there it was um, Paddy how are you all's good in your world absolutely mate tickety boo can't wait good Friday Good Friday indeed. But I tell you what, just before we get stuck into the proper stuff, remember you can get in touch with us all here to share your thoughts and help us set the agenda. Just send an email to thepinkin at archant.co.uk or go ahead and get in touch via all the possible social media channels you can imagine. And make sure you don't miss a single podcast by subscribing. All the details for you are at pinkin.com slash podcast. Now, as always, we'll kick off with a bit of quiz time as is customary, with Football School, the amazing quiz book. Uh, are we, uh, um, I mean, amazing is, it does, does feel like a strong word, but Pad, 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 Pad's fallen back in love with Absolutely. the book. It's had a renaissance, this book. <laughs> a bit like Norwich. And you were, you were squirrelling away trying to find a question for us, I could yeah. tell. Um, Paddy will pose that question. We will, of course, answer it in uh, this week's uh, Pink and Podcast Extra Time. Paddy, okay, do you want to dish it out? We will. We'll, we've got... A World Cup themed question, as they all are actually, so they're all World Cup themed, but this is based on Qatar in 22, so it's current. And the question is, what is the inspiration behind the shape of the Al Shamal Stadium? Al hyphen S H A M A L Stadium in Qatar, planned for the 22 World Cup. And your options are a palm tree, a fishing boat, a football, or an Arab tent. So the answer will be in the extra time. But what is the inspiration behind the shape of the Al Shamal Stadium in Qatar? Shape. Hmm. Well, well, no. Go through the options again, actually. A palm tree. Obviously, the palm in Dubai, uh, mm. in the UAE. A fishing boat, potentially. A football, or an Arab tent. Any idea what an Arab tent is, as opposed to a tent? <laughs> I don't, but it's got to be that. I'm, 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 I would say. This guitar is probably just bigger than anywhere else. I was thinking of what you were thinking that the palm um, shape, they're like little islands, aren't they? They are indeed. Yeah. And you can play golf off them as well, can't you? There's, um, isn't there a famous picture of Tiger or, or Ernie Els or something like that? And they're playing golf just into the sea from. Wow. from uh, That's the SCD. eight star. Burj Al Arab, yeah, I'm using my knowledge of Dubai. Is it? They go up to eight stars now, do they? That one is, yeah. Uh, mm. With an underwater uh, restaurant, apparently, where you can see all the tropical fish. Nice. It's a bit like talking to my uncle about um, buying a hypercar, which is even better than a supercar, apparently, but uh, much more expensive as well. Uh, But there we go. I I suppose a lot of people in Qatar and maybe uh, Dubai own hypercars, but... uh, I. Should we give our answers now, or should we say, well, no, tell you what, we'll save them for later. We'll have a think about it before we decide what we want to go for. What are you going to say, Dave? Well, I'll, I'll, I think I'll go for football. I'll, I'll go for the obvious one. I'll go on the nose. You think that's the obvious one? I was, I was going to say the Arabian tent, even though I don't know what it looks like. <laughs> uh, one of those is surely really obvious. Anyway, we'll find out, of course, as we said, over in the uh, Pink and Norwich City podcast, Extra Time, which you can watch exclusively on the Pink and app. If you haven't downloaded that already, just search Pink Un in either Google Play or the App Store. Okay, 
that was the week that was uh, is where we start as usual of course and there's only one place really that was uh, the focus of the week and that was the game at Wigan where as we were saying earlier Dave kind of got built up 5,000 fans 5,300 fans I think it was in the end um, made the journey the long journey with an early start or an even earlier start um, if you wanted to avoid um, getting up really early in the morning uh, it was all sort of set wasn't it but I, you know maybe some may have underestimated how good Wigan were at home and, and just what it's like to play a team that's really battling for their survival I think the Saturday fixtures have kind of left them on the the fringes of the uh, drop zone it probably focused a few minds and ultimately it was a it was a very difficult game wasn't it for, for Norwich Paddy was that as much due to their level of performance or was that created by Wigan's approach Wigan were good yeah in what they do um Saw some quotes after the game. Paul Cook said, look, you can't sit off this Norwich team. You need to press them high. And they did, to be fair. But what they did probably better than a lot of teams is they managed to maintain it. Phenomenal work ethic. Really set the tone through Leon Clark, who, let's be honest, probably took Zimmerman and Godfrey to school a little bit. Um, and as a result, you know, they their brand of honest endeavour and, and just complete commitment to the cause... I think on the day was uh, was outweighing Norwich's probably greater technical ability and uh, composed passing, of which there was very little. I thought that midfield area, which is always key in any game of football, but particularly under Farker, completely dominated. Uh, Norwich's four midfielders simply weren't up to the task. And as a result, that's why it was a very, very difficult afternoon, um, as we all probably knew it would be, to be fair. I don't think anybody went into this thinking... It was going to be a walk in the park. I, I certainly didn't um, in, in a QPR style affair. And it just underlines again, you know, on the back of the Reading game, how that panned out that, you know, maybe people getting a little bit carried away with eight straight wins and uh, this is easy and it's not a case of promotion. That's in the bag and it's can they win the title and when will they win the title? Not a bit of it. So there's been a bit of a reality check of in these last two games. But you know, let's take a step back, look at the league table, seven points clear of Sheffield in third, and it still could be done. Good Friday. So it is tantalisingly close, but no, I don't I mean Norwich were for me poor as in terms of the performance, but but it's difficult to detach the performance from the pressure that they're, that they're under now and the expectation and how close it is. And for me, said it during the game. First time I felt, certainly in the first half, that they were playing with the weight of all that. And of course, you know, when you've got 5,300 fans turn up as well, that's added pressure. I know that's great to see and what a colourful spectacle, but it does add to the sense of you're on the cusp of something massive here, boys. And uh, they played like it. So, yeah, hopefully, you know, um, it'll be a different kettle of fish on Friday. And it certainly will be if Sheffield United have failed to do the business earlier in the day. Because uh, alongside that, it was probably the first time there'd been a real... Well, I don't know, though. I'm sure people remind me it's not. But the fact that Sheffield United um, did concede that late equaliser, I think we said it before the game, just took a bit of pressure off the, the game. And I, I suppose we've always been asking how would Norwich react to this situation and that situation. It felt like that was the first time where it was almost like, you know, you can really... Certainly in terms of it being in the run-in and, and under the uh, intense scrutiny. And I mean, that is ultimately the, the situation that now leaves Norwich with a bit of breathing space still, even though they drew the fact that the games have run out and Sheffield United didn't pick up some points. So it's a bit of a benefit there for Norwich. Yeah, for Leeds and Norwich on, on uh, at the weekend, of course, Sheffield United 
playing before them so they could then have a look at that and that's what it's going to be on Good Friday as well isn't it when Leeds play uh, sorry Sheffield United play lunchtime Leeds in the evening and Norwich at, uh, in the late game of the day um, but yeah there, I mean Millwall drawing at Sheffield United is a another example of what we saw really from the game at Wigan that the, um, the sort of business end of the season is is a bit of a leveller isn't it the, the team's down at the bottom there's now no more sort of messing around there's no changing of manager at this stage there's no trying to find if you're Reading for instance you know there's no sort of trying to find a style and thinking about next season it is just about day by day scrapping for the points doing everything you can showing the commitment to make sure you stay in the division and I thought Wigan were athletic perhaps you could point to Paul Cook made four changes from their defeat at Hull in midweek whereas um, Norwich stuck with the same starting 11 again and they looked athletic and fresh um, and motivated and eventually that was enough because conversely Norwich now are just looking that little bit tighter that little bit more nervous Um, particularly the young lads I I think it's maybe got to them Campwell is obviously is the obvious example of that you know that's not the Todd Campwell we've seen earlier this season and, and not the ability that me and others have seen from Todd as he's been coming through the youth system um, you know he's got a lot of creative attacking ability and he's not showing that he looked weighed down by the nerves and I, on him I guess we'll come on to Todd more but he, the opportunity in Buendia's absence seemed like it's weighed on him too heavily he's really tried too hard to take the opportunity and he, he he almost looked a bit sort of ponderous and slow at times because I think he was trying too hard so I, I do feel a little bit sorry for him but Lewis wasn't great Godfrey did some slightly odd things Aaron's was a bit quiet so I just wonder whether they need a little bit more experience in that team now and, and probably some fresh legs and fresh minds just to pep things up just to keep things going in the right direction because those young lads have been fantastic and they've played a lot of football and there's a lot weighing on their shoulders at the moment Yeah it was probably as, as disjointed and you touched on the, maybe just the precision of the passes and, and, and things like that really and some of the decision making clearly I mean, it did seem a little jaded and I mean I, it's a difficult one because for me had Daniel Farker had maybe made a few earlier changes in some other games. I mean, the, the last half an hour at, against Hull still resonates with me why you could make changes with 25 minutes to go in that game. Just so that some players coming in would have some minutes under their belt. And then I don't know if Daniel gets to, say, the Wigan game and doesn't want to make a change earlier because some of the players aren't up to speed, which is because you haven't really given them many minutes beforehand. But we are surely now at the point where Mario and and Moritz Leitner are... are knocking a bit too hard on on the door to get a go but I mean that's too we can maybe name one player who we think should possibly be moved on but you know two is is a stretch and Daniel doesn't like changing it so it's a hard argument to have really isn't it Paddy because we know what the head coach is like well we do to this point but I do think Dave's spot on it is a freshness element they do do look a bit jaded and and that was for me, symptomatic of the performance. Um, Cantwell will come out. I've got no doubts about that. I don't think he can now stay in that side. Um, and then it's really your perming, well, three positions if Hernandez stays on the left. So it's the two sitters and it's who plays on the right. Steepenman obviously will be the support to Pukki. So of, of those three available berths, then you're perming from four, you're perming Tribal, Leitner, Vrancic and Kenny McLean. And from me, said it on the Q&A at Monday lunchtime, uh, Leitner needs to be nailed in, absolutely nailed in. And then it's just who who the other two positions, as it would be then, are from 
Tribal, McLean and Mario. Um, I just thought what we didn't see from Tom Tribal and Kenny McLean, we did from Moritz, uh, which was just that calmness. There was one moment where he picked the ball up um, as the game was getting increasingly stretched on the edge of his own box, just looked up and has absolutely pinged the diagonal about 35 yards into Max Aarons' path. Didn't see that at all from Tribal or McLean. Okay, McLean did a nice bit of work for the assist for the goal, but not enough for me. Um, so uh, it, I, I wouldn't be as bold as to suggest who the midfield should be, but I'm thinking there should definitely be some changes and Moritz Leitner should be in that side for Sheffield Wednesday. And as a separate argument, someone tweeted me today or was replying on something to say that Mario Vranch had just come in in the last two games and within five minutes of coming on, Norwich have scored. <laughs> Mario Vranch had a really good season when you think he missed all of pre-season and the first few games because of what was pretty much a groin injury, I think, wasn't it? Although it was a bit more complicated than that. I think it's seven goals and seven assists he's got to his name. And he scored some important goals as well. When Mario's been called upon this year, he has really delivered for Daniel Farker and he can probably feel a little bit annoyed that he was overlooked in terms of Cantwell. And maybe that's because of the where the club is and... and Daniel's um, objectives when he came in were to bring you through, wasn't it? Rather than a 29-year-old that he knows he can trust and knows and rely on, Mario doesn't have much resale value, does he? As much as we can all see it. So maybe Daniel thought, we're top of the league, we're flying here, this is a great opportunity to get Todd some minutes. And that unfortunately hasn't worked. But I think Mario Vrancic is a top player. He made a cracking tackle when he came on as well, right in front of us, didn't he? Where um, it looked like he was going to foul the player, but he wrapped his leg around and stopped the um, stopped the ball going out for a, th- a throw and left the player on the floor. Um, so I like Mario a lot, and I th- Daniel has used him on that right side as well previously in the season. So I don't see a problem with him going there. Kenny McLean the whole time, right from the time he got into the team, we've been, well, certainly I've been saying, and most people have been saying, they don't have the same control of midfield with him there. He, he's not the same player as Moritz Leitner. He doesn't dictate the game. And I'm a huge fan of Leitner. I think a lot of Norwich fans are. The best period of play that this Norwich City team produced was ironically enough, around the time they won 4-0 at Sheffield Wednesday, when they won 4-1 at Swansea, when they were playing with a real swagger and style. Moritz Leitner was the absolute heartbeat of that, and I'm surprised that he's remained on the bench this long. And for me, this is the opportunity to get him back involved, particularly as they've got two games in four days. So even if you wanted to bring closer in, which I don't think would be the worst idea to bring him in for Godfrey, you could say to Ben, right, I just need to freshen it up a bit. Short of Tim having an absolute worldie, you'll be back in at Stoke on Saturday when it's probably going to be a bit more of a direct game. I think Daniel's got options to freshen it up a little bit here. And he has done perhaps in recent weeks and has just shown a touch too much loyalty because as much as unity in the squad is great, there's only so far you can test that of someone's personality without them playing minutes because eventually they're going to get fed up aren't they however lovely Jordan Rhodes is or Grant Hanley is you know loyal to the cause eventually they're going to get fed up and not playing aren't they they've got a career to pursue themselves so I think you've got to share it around a little bit more as well to, to maintain that I mean they're almost null and void discussions sometimes when you're winning games which of course Norwich did they won eight on the trot which is phenomenal they are still unbeaten in ten of course but the fact that those changes have come um, to kind of make up for the deficiencies in the starting 11 uh, that's a harsh way of putting it but you know they have been behind in both of those games when those changes have been made Um, I guess that's a pointer that that Daniel 
may well look to. Um, in terms of how this is going to pan out then, Paddy, we talked about the scenarios because, uh, as you said, with, with the other teams playing on Good Friday's kind of set fair, Norwich needs six points. And that's, of course, assuming that Sheffield United win all their games. And, and that's just in terms of talking about the top two, really, in automatic promotion. Leeds, of course, did win at the weekend, so it's closed up um, a little bit in terms of the top two. But uh, how do you see this all panning out? Can we can we have, um, crack open a few Easter eggs, celebratory Easter eggs over the next few days? That would be nice. I'm getting a bit sick and tired of it, to be brutally <laughs> honest. Um, that wasn't particularly pleasurable, uh, Wigan. And, uh, and I'm not even a fan. So, yeah... It it feels as if it it's now. I mean, basically, Sheffield United. You can imagine the mindset there over these next few days. They know literally there is no more um, second chances. You know, if they don't go out lunchtime Good Friday and perform at Bramall Lane um, and get the better of Nottingham Forest, then in theory that could be that could be them. Well, certainly in terms of Norwich over the hill um, and the way Leeds are going, it doesn't look like they're going to be pulling up anytime soon. So. That's difficult for for Wilder and his team, particularly after off the back of obviously what happened against Millwall. They've blown two points there. They got a man sent off, so he'll be suspended. They got injury darts around Billy Sharp and, and Chris Basham. It, it must be very hard not to shake the, the sense that maybe their race is run. So psychologically, that's for I me mean, very fascinating. Uh, over the whole Easter period, it, it's literally that first salvo really, which could dictate it. You know, Sheffield don't do the business, then it's very hard not to see Norwich really responding. You Can you imagine that game finishes at Bramall Lane 2-2.30 on Good Friday? The mood down at Carra Road yeah, in the yeah, build-up, yeah. it will be immense. That sense of anticipation. You know, the place will be, I mean, the kickoff 7.45, but you can guarantee by probably 4 or 5 o'clock, people will be there milling about, wanting to be part of something quite special. You know, a, a home clinching promotion. That hasn't happened very often, if at all, in the last sort of however many decades. And, that is history in the making. So, for me, it all hinges on what happens at Bramall Lane on Good Friday. You know, if it went the other way and they got a very good result, then things will might tighten up a little bit more. Um, and it might not get done and dusted over Easter, but it's difficult not to get caught up in what could happen elsewhere. But really, and Daniel has said this all, all the way through in the last few weeks, it is about what Norwich can do. And they haven't delivered in terms of results in the last two games. That trend needs to change because it is regressive. Uh, and if it doesn't change, then it will get progressively tighter. And heaven forbid they have to go to Villa on the final day needing something. That would be not a scenario anybody would want. Indeed. All right. Um, a word on the fans who went to Wigan, Dave, 5,000 of them. Uh, I mean, they were very good, but it wasn't the ideal match. And in, in terms of maybe... Um, a raucous party time also I mean fair play to Wigan they turned Norwich around so they were attacking towards their own um, the Norwich fans in the first half rather than the second which I maintain might, might have made the difference between three points and one regardless of how uh, how Norwich's performance was yeah that's almost a nod to Norwich isn't it from from Morsey uh, accepting that you know they've got nearly a third well, it was a third of the stadium, wasn't it? it was, uh, the attendance was just over 15,000 um, yeah I mean it's a real um Real show of support. Um, I've seen there has been a bit of social media chuntering, as there always is, about atmosphere and stuff. And, and if people were judging that via the microphones on the television coverage, um, particularly um, 
well, yeah, that that isn't always reflective of how it normal how it actually was, was it? And of course, the first half didn't really go to plan. They started off nice and loud, and then it, it settled down because it was a tough game. But I, f- I think when the the triple subs the substitution was made, that sparked them into life. And then, of course, the goal five minutes later. And I, I thought the noise from there was fantastic. They really did drive them on. And if that Steepman shot had gone in in the seventh minute of injury time, well, that would have. That would have been a moment for the ages, wouldn't it? That would have been incredible. And, and arguably, he probably should have done better than he did. There was a there was a little deflection which just took it back towards Christian Walton, wasn't there? So maybe that, that prevented it from finding the bottom corner. But yeah, they, they could have won it in the end. They had the chances. Of course, Wigan had a goal disallowed in front of the away end um, in the first minute of injury time, was it? Um, from Leon Clark. That looked a fairly marginal decision, but um, hopefully just about right. But on the fans, I think Daniel Farker wanted to recognise them and, and the whole you know usual waving of the arms and Farker's sort of trademark celebration he's not done that um, after a draw before of course he only normally does that after wins he didn't do it after the Reading game at Carrow Road on Wednesday but that was almost their um, their badge of honour you've, you've earned this thank you so much for their show of support and as much as we have all felt a little bit disappointed and there's a little bit of despondency and worry around after that which is maybe a, a bit overblown I feel like the players didn't walk off to that atmosphere. I feel like that the 5,000 who were there really gave them a good, strong reception. And, you know, Daniel obviously helped by whipping them up there. But I think as they went back to the dressing room, the, the players would have been lifted a bit by by that atmosphere, that there was a positive um, sort of mood swirling around. I think that, that away end still was thinking about promotion. They weren't thinking, oh, that's a disappointing draw. Okay, time for Gongs of the Week. There should be a few nominations for this. Uh, big Duncan Forbes Hero of the Week. Uh, I have written down here the fans, Dave, uh, uh, and uh, as you spoke so well just then, they're, they're certainly a good shout. But any other uh, nominees? Tim Krull. Oh, what a save. Brilliant save. Peter Schmeichel, I, I, I had to qualify that because people might be thinking Casper if they're not of a certain age. But that, <laughs> the starfish... Um, uh, you know that was classic Peter Schmeichel the great Dane as he was uh, and it's been said Daniel said it you know in terms of the context of that game to go 2-0 down there I don't think Norwich are coming back and then whatever negativity there was or has been subsequently at drawing 1-1 you could have magnified that many times if they had lost the game 2-0 because then it, there would have been the feeling the wheels were maybe starting to come off but uh and he's been very maligned um, on occasion because he has made one or two high-profile ricks. But for me, I think I think the scales are now definitely tilting in a f- positive direction in terms of his overall contribution, both on the pitch and what we don't see off the pitch. You know, his leadership, given what we're talking about, the pressure and the, the stress and expectancy now to have a guy in there who's played in the World Cup, uh, who's actually won promotion with Newcastle out of this division and has played many years in the Premier League. That's absolutely invaluable. And, and he showed on the pitch that uh, you know he's still got more than enough about him to make big saves at big moments. Yeah, yeah. He's still a good age for a keeper as well, isn't he? 30. Um, is Paul Lambert too, uh, <laughs> too easy? Um, we were going to mention it at some point, obviously, so now could be the moment. Agent Lambert has, uh, has taken them down. Um, let's give it to the linesman for that injury, ta- injury time flag. I don't know what his name was, I'm afraid. But um, yeah, that really would have had a rather deflating effect on this uh, promotion chase if they'd have conceded a, 
a late goal to lose at Wigan, then the mood would have been uh, quite different. So uh, I think he just about got it right, but it was marginal. The, the angle that I've seen is from a camera which is closer to the halfway line, which I, I guess was the best TV angle. So it looks like just sort of an arm and a bit of his chest... Leon Clark, this is was just in front of the uh, of the Norwich defence. So this is his chest. I don't think his arm counts. Yeah, so. exactly. So I th- I'm, I'd imagine if you could get a perfect um, view right across the back line, then there would have been a decent chunk of his body in front. But still, that's not exactly a, a foot in front or anything. That's a marginal call, isn't it? And the the hearts were in mouths for for us in the press box and for for those five thousand away fans. Yeah, yeah, I remember that actually. They certainly were. Okay, uh, Kevin Muscat, villain of the week. What have you got, Dave? Because um, I've written here the handball rule, and you've just been writing about this for most of the day, haven't you? Oh yes, I have. Yeah. Um, he's my he's my villain, James Lennington. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh yeah, big star. Yeah, but obviously you Dave, two always having goes at referees. I don't know. Well, I've even took to consulting the laws. I've printed them off here as well, or have I? Because. That, to me, is wrong. I'm going to read this out. Dave, you've done your piece, so you might want to uh, come in on this. Law 12, fouls and misconduct. Handling the ball. This is the FA website. Handling the ball involves a deliberate act of a player making contact with the ball with the hand or the arm. Was that deliberate? No. The following must be considered. Movement of hand towards the ball, not ball towards hand. Did Ben Godfrey move his hand towards that ball in the time it took to leave Sam Morsey's foot? No. The distance between the opponent and the ball. Well, everybody can see how close he was when he larruped that ball. So that's the FA's guidelines. Now you tell me. And then added to that, Dave pointed this out on social media, his view of the incident, he's blocked, he's blocked, he's blocked, but he's behind Morsey and he's behind the other two, well, the other two Norwich players because three of them converged. So his view of the incident, for me, is not 20-20. So you wrap all that together, how on earth is that a penalty? Please, somebody tell me. Idiot. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean... I, don't, I try not to get stuck into referees too much because I think they got a really difficult job but watching and, and in real time I, I thought it probably was just about a penalty and I think in real time Godfrey did himself no favours by grabbing his face and trying to pretend that he'd been hit in the face because that almost gave away an admission of guilt and I I'm watching it back he, the, the referee makes his decision in less than two seconds From all, all, I mean you've just picked out the key bits there of the handball rule haven't you and yeah, the, there's key, the key bits the, yeah yeah, yeah we're, rightly obviously and the, there's more to it than that aren't there the, the rules are even more complicated than that so there's no way a referee can weigh all that up in real time and certainly not within two seconds if he hasn't got a clear view and he isn't certain that that was a deliberate handball he shouldn't be giving a penalty he he is straight whistle to his mouth giving a penalty he hasn't had a clear view of it and it just shows how difficult it is for referees to make those decisions but he was far too quick to do it um I have tried to sort of make sense of it for a story which is at pinkin.com now um, and there's a poll on there I mean we're asking Norwich fans mainly of course anyway so we probably knew it to a certain extent but we asked um, do you think it was a penalty in light of what you've just read Um, 5% have said yes 92% have said no and 3% say they're still not sure so as, as yes I agree I think he's got it wrong but it's so difficult making these calls in in real time. Um, well, don't make it if you're not 100 yes, percent sure. Don't like, don't second guess or 
on the balance of probability. It's not like a criminal case or a civil case in law. It's black and white. As, as that ball in the laws of the land, which these referees should know backwards and inside out, has that constituted deliberate and ball? If it's not any shred of doubt, don't give the penalty. The complicating matter in all this, as I've gone into in the article as well, is that IFAB, the International Football Association Board, released at the start of last month new guidelines. So the handball judgments are going to be judged differently as of June the 1st. So I don't understand why they've been released now, because that means that the referees must be aware of them. Some fans and some fans not are aware of them. Sorry, I didn't say that very well. Some fans are aware of them and some fans are not. Um, but that basically provides further guidance as to what is handball and what should be considered deliberate and uh, the position of the uh, arm and things like that because we saw how VAR was used in the Champions League last week, didn't we? That's slightly different because I think basically because of using the technology, I think UEFA have decided that's how they're going to interpret that incident and and it's, it's going to be very black and white, so there's clarity there as there is in the laws of, of the land, which I read out earlier. So, you know, any guidance that's supposed to kick in from June the 1st, well, what, what are we in now? All April. Yeah. So, so that's got nothing to do with it. So that, yeah, but that's what, it shouldn't. It shouldn't apply at all. It shouldn't, but it's out there, isn't it? And it should, it's in the general consciousness now, when people have now seen that VAR decision in the Champions League, where a decision is, it was quite similar, wasn't it? Where the football has deflected onto Danny Rose's arm yeah. in really quick speed, um, and his arm is in a slightly unnatural position like Godfrey's was in this incident and then the penalty gets given so I think there's just a bit of a lack of but was, confidence yeah but my point is the difference is UEFA have stipulated in their competition if that incident happened that's the course of action yes that isn't applicable in the football and league that, yeah so that's caused confusion hasn't it but that shouldn't be the case it should, it should cause confusion for the referee he should know the laws that at any given time that he is abiding by and they are those laws I read out earlier that is not a deliberate deliberate handball you would hope so but I, I, I think from the fans point of view more that's where people are confused I don't I just don't think people really know what handball is but you, you've broken it down there at, at the end of the day in all of this stuff it still says right at the top of it all deliberate Correct. that is the key thing it's supposed Correct. to be a deliberate handball well, I mean, I, I agree with what you've said entirely, Pad, having seen it all, uh, seen it obviously so many times. But I have to say, in real time when I was watching it, I thought his Ben Godfrey's arm was higher than it was. Yeah. And I thought the ball hit his arm straight off. So I wasn't surprised that he gave it. Obviously, if he didn't see it properly, then he shouldn't be making a decision either way. And he had six, seven Wigan players shouting at him for it. And uh, ultimately, he the rest of his performance was kind of swayed by a few things as well. So perhaps that's how we all got in this muddle. But there we go. Uh, he didn't finish the game, of course, did he? Because he got substituted with uh, some sort of ailment, which uh, I guess wasn't regret for the penalty decision. Uh, Simeon Jackson moment of the week. Um, I'm going to flag up obviously the walking out in front of the fans Max Aarons himself said he said to Jamal Lewis wow when they saw that so of course that was a a big moment I think we've touched on Sheffield United as well and Jake Cooper any others Dave? Well we've got to go for Pookie as well haven't we we haven't actually talked about the goal Um, he, he has dug them out of a hole there and it was a much better finish once I've seen it back than I appreciated in real time the way he 
moved into space firstly that's something we're well aware of now aren't we how how intelligent Pookie is in the way he finds that just metre of space which can make a difference to get away from a defender and that allows him to open up his body and quickly take it with it, with his side foot into the far bottom corner catching out the keeper before before he was aware I thought he just sort of poked it in his he'd taken it in his stride and poked it but no no he angles his body really well and that could prove a really important goal, you know, if they go and beat Sheffield Wednesday. And you've got me sort of excited for Friday now, Pad, that if if Martin O'Neill or Lewis Graban, 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 you know, the, there's a few, there's a bit of context there, isn't there? Whether they can do Norwich a favour and um, beat Sheffield United at Bramall Lane, who do look like they're running out of steam, then you're right. Everyone will head down to Carrow Road absolutely pumped for a great night and that pucky goal will be the reason that they'll be able to head down there with uh, with momentum I think he took it he took it about half a second earlier than other strikers would have been and I think that was just what yeah. made got the ball past the keeper before he stuck out his leg how about you Pad? yeah no I mean I was going to say the fans um, just the, when they got into scarf twirling mode that was <laughs> super impressive and couldn't have failed to inspire but and maybe it tipped the other way. I mean, as you said, you're alluding to, to what Max said, and you know, maybe, maybe they got a little bit caught up in the occasion. I think one or two of them players, which you know, as I say, young men, understandable, but uh, it was an impressive sight. No one's going to suggest Ipswich getting relegated on the Saturday afternoon. Are, are we being well behaved? Are we going to touch on it just briefly? You boys, you know, Norwich fans, uh, leave that to you. It <laughs> made made no difference to my weekend whatsoever. Well, we've known it's coming for ages, haven't we? So that, that moment probably has been <laughs> rather elongated. But yeah, well done, Agent Lambert. You can find all the uh, reaction on social media. Just search hashtag ITSC. Okay, mailbag then. Discussions led by your um, interaction with us. We thank you for that. Of course we do. Uh, let's have a quick look, shall we, at what we've got uh, in terms of questions and we'll rattle through them. And of course, if you want to get in touch with us, you can do that on social media. Likewise, um, you can send us an email to thepinken at archant.co.uk. Let's have a look at what we've got in here. John Speck. Time for calm and time to play some exciting attacking football. The pressure is off us and all on Leeds and Sheffield United. I'm not, maybe 96%. Um, we just need to match Sheffield United's result in two of the remaining four games to be promoted. That's all. That's all. And of course, we are very close. Things. Game, the time is running out and games are running out. JK Middleton, uh, whatever happens, the season has been fantastic. We must remember that although we've been through this before, most of the players haven't. Will we be able to retain Emmy and the breakthrough players regardless of going up? Yeah, which is a, a key question, I suppose. I think we've touched on that. The, the idea of Norwich selling anyone if they get promoted strikes me as strange unless someone offers a shed load of money. Absolutely, yeah, I would frame it in exactly those terms. Uh, and then... If, if said club offers shed load of money then it comes down to what the player present potentially wants as well um, you know Buendia doesn't really let's be honest have a huge attachment to Norwich in, this, in the way an Aaron well an Aaron's and a Lewis would but uh, so he might he might see it as a stepping stone to, to bigger and better things in his mind but from Norwich's point of view no I don't see no reason financially there's no reason and, and footballing wise you know the, the stated aim when Daniel signed his new deal was to establish them as a a staple in the Premier League you don't do that really by getting rid of the players who got you there 
there'll be a few contracts probably if, if Norwich finish the business I'm sure there'll be a few new contracts to bumping around a bit like Alec Neal of course it just needs a bit of speculation and a, your agent does his business uh, Katie Rath Dave do we need to panic yet but huh. No, no, definitely not panic. I mean, if Sheffield United, <laughs> if Sheffield United, um, as and they are looking like they're tailing off, and they look like they might be without Billy Sharp uh, potentially. I, I don't think that's uh, that injury news has been confirmed yet, has it? But he went off. Um, Chris Basham also went off. John Egan got a red card. If they struggle to keep up, well, if they lose their next two games, Norwich promoted because West Brom can't catch Norwich. So. That would be it. So they, it's kind of in their hands. And, and that's kind of the thing which gives me the confidence is that I don't think Sheffield United are going to catch Norwich now. Um, so I think they'll be all right. I, I, I'm, I think I'm a bit, as we stand today, I'm a bit worried that the Wednesday game will be a draw. Um, but I think they'll win at stake. Okay. Uh, William Stern um, seems harsh to criticise given the table, but... Do you think a lack of rotation in the team has been a problem now that a change has to has been enforced by suspension? Forced to bring in someone out of formal practice, or is it just that Amy Buendia is irreplaceable? <laughs> yeah, pretty both, probably. Um, certainly underlines how important he has become because, you know, if you'd have dropped him into the last two games, you feel Norwich would have found a way to win one or both of those games. So, yeah irreplaceable I don't know it's looking a little bit like that at the minute I don't think there's another Emi Buendia in that squad of players but I do think also and we've discussed it at length it needed to be freshened up a lot sooner in a lot of these games you know it's fine to show faith with the same 11 and the results have repaid him handsomely but you know Dave touched on earlier the control element has been sadly lacking and uh you, when you turn around and you have a Leitner or a Rancic, you should be using them a bit more than they ha- he has been. Yeah. Uh, Tim Holden then, uh, finally, Wigan and Reading games were good prep for the Premier League. This fantastic, fantastic, uh, this fantastic, I guess, uh, NCFC team has had things its own way nearly all season. It's not going to be like that next season in the Prem. Teams will need to learn to cope with setbacks and occasional thrashings and constant pressure to perform. Also, final twist to the season. What if Norwich results require City to need Ipswich to deny points off Leeds on Sheffield United to ensure City win the league? Ugh. Well, the pressure will be off Ipswich now. So. Well, if that's the question, then yeah, Norwich are in trouble. Because <laughs> <laughs> Ipswich are going down and I'm not convinced Paul Lambert will still be in charge by the start of next season, by the noises. I mean, he should be. He's not going to get a job anywhere else. If he doesn't make a success of it there, his career as a manager is essentially over. But... Um, yeah, what else was the question in there? <laughs> I mean, that, there's no point in Norwich changing their style, is there? They're not going to go up and become a Hewton side under Farker and, and part of the bus and, and try and grind their way to, to survival if they get there. They've got to stick with what they've seen. I mean, the fans wouldn't want to see it now. We, they've got the taste of the entertainment. And yes, they concede a lot of goals, but they score more. And it's great to see that. And, you know, if they play like that and... Yeah, like he says, you are going to get spanked by a Man City or a Liverpool at some point. That's that's going to happen, and the players will have to be ready for that. But equally, by being brave and adventurous like that, you might meet you might beat a Man United at Carrow Road. You might win at Tottenham on the opening day because they're all still tired. You might get that famous win that will just drive everyone on, and then allow the more winnable games to be that little bit more achievable. I've always said that the the. the 
especially I said it at the uh, sort of halfway stage of the season that the key was going to be Norwich adapting as they went through the season because teams were cotton on to the best ways to stop them. Only the last two, three games where teams have, have, have really made a, a better fist, I suppose, of, of, of stopping them, haven't they? So um, fair play, that does mean that Norwich have had to answer those questions. But likewise, they have done a very good job of adapting up until that point because every team knew what Norwich were, were going to do from about four or five games in, well, maybe not four or five, but certainly 10, 11, 12 games in it was quite clear how Norwich were going were gonna to do things. OK, well, um, we won't do the week ahead because we know that it's Sheffield Wednesday on Friday, which we've spoken about, and, of course, Stoke on good... Uh, no, well, it will be a good Monday, I'm sure, a good bank holiday <laughs> Easter Monday. Um, and we will be live at both of those uh, games, of course, with full coverage for you over at pinkin.com on the app and all the usual channels. Uh, the Pinkin Show is back this week. We've got Steve Foley on it, I believe, hopefully. <laughs> and that's back at the Woolpack as well on Wednesday, so join us uh, there. Any other business for you, gents? Well, something that did just pop into my mind while we were talking about Wednesday is uh, Jordan Rhodes, of course, unavailable on Friday against his parent club, which I hadn't thought about. So that means Shrebeni will be the backup striker. Presumably Louis Thompson. Another, I was going to say, yeah, it opens another space on the bench. Hasn't yeah, it? Louis Thompson, you'd have thought. He got another 90 minutes for the 23s on Friday. They played at Carrow Road, lost 3-2 to Borough. Josh Coley, Isaac Thorfeldson scored. Carlton Morris, Philip Heiser, Felix Passack all got 90 minutes as well. So they sort of talked up. I'd be very surprised if... Carlton Morris was on the bench that would be a story wouldn't it but just because he he's had such a difficult time of injuries isn't he whereas Louis has been a lot closer and he has played first team this year but but then again you'd be very top heavy with midfielders then wouldn't you if you've got mm. we assume Cantwell drops out and, and bear in mind going into Saturday's against Sunday's game you had Francis and Leitner on the bench so Oof. Yeah, that would be a lot. That would be a lot of midfielders, but it would tick the home ground box, I suppose. Imagine that for a story. Well, Carlton Morris comes off the yeah. bench to score the goal. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's hope so. Let's hope someone's writing this stuff. Um, brilliant. Okay. Well, good stuff. We'll look out for who gets picked, of course, for the game on Friday night. It's a seven forty-five kickoff, and the kickoff at Stoke is at three p.m. on Monday. So going to be very weird and probably confuse a lot of us but they are the games to look forward to of course over the coming uh, weekend we'll hopefully be back with a uh, podcast on the mm, when are we going to do a podcast I don't know we'll figure we'll figure it out but so it might not be the Monday well it certainly won't be the Monday afternoon um, but we'll try and do one as quickly as we can maybe from the services on the way home if we're not too knackered but we, we'll see but in the meantime uh, we're done for tonight thank you so much for listening uh, remember pinkin.com for the latest Norwich City news analysis and opinion and um, as I said either way uh, we will be back one way or another next week and make sure you get involved in the podcast because of course it is your podcast as much as it is ours uh, we'll answer that uh, earlier quiz question too and uh, in the absence of Paddy Sunday brunch we're going to f- throw in a mini paper review I think that will all be in the Norwich City podcast extra time uh, which you can get over at the Pinken app uh, to watch that until next time thank you very much gents cheers Pat cheers mate thank you Dave thank you mate Uh, thanks to you all for listening Uh, here's to City shaking off the jitters and finishing part one of the job at least goodbye